Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. There we go. Not your fault, my fault. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to ACF Church. Welcome to 11 a.m. And can I say Merry Christmas? I am excited that it is Christmas is this week. It's less than a week away. And if you're discovering that or hearing that for the first time right now, realizing that for the first time, um, you got a lot of work to do. So, um, man, welcome to ACF Church. I am. So glad that you guys are joining us this morning. My name is Josh, and I am one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest of ours this morning, and it's your first time coming, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you would join our community, our family today. And uh, we're in the middle of this, or really ending, this kind of small Christmas series that we've been in called The Ghosts of Christmas. And we thought it would be fun to take uh, a classic literature of, of Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol and, and just take a look at that and, and, and follow this life of the character Scrooge through the story. And, and, and if you don't know the story, um, you should watch it. Uh, Muppets Christmas Carol will really get you locked in, and one of my favorites. But Scrooge is this selfish angry, self-centered person that's all about him. And one night he gets visited by three spirits. And and the, the goal is to show him the life that he's lived and where it's going and, and the doom that's coming upon him. And two weeks ago, we talked about the ghost of Christmas past, right? And what we talked about is that our past so often is so full of shame. That when we look on our past and when we, when we peer into where we've been and what we've done and things we've said, oftentimes there's, there's so much shame that's attached to that. And Pastor Brian two weeks ago talked about how the past is an important place to visit. It really is. It's an important place to look at where we've been, but it's a terrible place to live. 
And when we live trapped in our past, when we live in that shame and never are able to move through it and receive forgiveness for it, then we, we get affected today and it's a terrible place to live. And we can never really truly and fully experience the joy of Jesus and the joys in life because we're always carrying that shame with us. And then last week, we talked about the ghost of Christmas present, right? And we talked about how in the, in the story, Scrooge gets shown the present and he gets shown the realities of what's going on. And his eyes are kind of opened a little bit to the life, that, the lives that of the people around him that they actually live. And what we talked about is that our awareness determines our impact. Our awareness at the world around us determines our impact. And if, if, we're, if we choose so often to be unaware and stick our heads in the sand of the needs of the people around us, we will never have an impact on this world. And not only that, not only does our awareness need to be out on the people around us, but oftentimes the awareness needs to be what's going on in our own soul. Because if we can never acknowledge where we're at in our soul, in our heart, in our struggles, we're never going to be able to move through that and, and grow from that. And so often, we are really hurting people. Oftentimes, there's things in our lives that we really just want to ignore, to not think about, to not talk about, and just pretend it's not there. And if, and if I just pretend it's not there, then, it, then it's not really affecting me, right? But that, that impact to change our hearts if we're unaware of what's going on in our soul, we're never able to have an impact to, to walk through these things in our hearts and our souls. So today, we're wrapping up the series with the final ghost, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The ghost of the Christmas in the future. And, and, and what is coming and what are we looking forward towards? But before we talk about what we look forward towards, I really think we need to take just another really quick look at these other two ghosts that Scrooge interacts with. And I was, as I was just kind of preparing for this and going through my notes, something kind of dawned on me. Right? Something dawned on me. So Scrooge, he gets visited by this ghost of the future, of like where his life is going. And it's bleak, it's empty, it's dark, it's meaningless, and he fears it. Right in the story, like Scrooge, in the future he dies, and what ends up happening is like people are literally celebrating his death. People are mocking him in his death. And the very things that he held so tightly to, that he was so selfish with, his money, that he would not get to anybody, no charity, no anybody, it just got dispersed to everybody because he had no one to give it to. And the very thing that he never wanted to happen, happened. And he, and he, he sees this, this, this future, and, and, and in the story, he asks the spirit, he's like, can I change? You would not be showing me this if I couldn't change. Can I change? Can I change? Please, this is not the future I want. And then he wakes up. And in that moment, he realizes he has hope. In that moment, he realizes there's hope. I don't have to have this future. I can have hope that can change this future. And as I was thinking just through this idea, what I realized is if Scrooge had been visited by the ghost of Christmas past, then, then what, he would have, what would have happened is he would have been shown this shame of his past. He would have been shown his loneliness. He would have been shown his missed opportunities. He would have been shown these decisions, these selfish decisions he made, and he would have woken up and nothing would have changed for him. 
If he would have been shown just the ghost of Christmas present, he would have been shown like, oh, okay, there's people out there that can experience joy without the, the money that you have. There's people out there that choose like family over like pursuing career at all costs. And they, they have joy. And in fact, they have something that you don't have. They have contentment. And he would have been shown this and he, he would have woke up and he wouldn't have changed. Nothing would have changed for him. You see, without a future hope, Scrooge's life doesn't change. Without a future hope, Scrooge's life doesn't change. But then he gets shown the future, and all of a sudden, everything changes for him. Now, obviously, there's no Christ figure in this story. And yes, I would say that we need to look into our past and, and let it be redeemed by Jesus. And that does change us. It really does. But there's something in this story that I realized. And that is this. It's not his past or his present that radically change him. It's hope for his future. And what I, what I understood is that what is true for Scrooge is true for us today is that our future hope determines our present actions. Our future hope, it, it determines our present actions. The truth is what we believe about tomorrow impacts the decisions we make today. See, if you remember, all of a sudden, Scrooge has this future hope. He wakes up, and he's like, opens the window. He's like, young boy, what day is it? It's Christmas. I haven't missed my opportunity. He's like, go buy the biggest goose. And he brings it to Bob's, Bob Cratchit's house, and he makes Cratchit a partner. And all of a sudden, everything in him changed. And the story ends with it's talking about how Scrooge, you know, he held the spirit of Christmas better than anybody. And he had this joy and this hope in his heart because... What he believed about tomorrow impacted the decisions he was making for today. And the truth is, we do this all the time. It's not just with faith. It's, it's with really all areas of our life. What we believe about tomorrow impacts the decisions we make today. So if I believe tomorrow, I want to be healthy. If I believe tomorrow that I want to, I want to be able to be active when I'm older, and I want to be a healthy person in, 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 when I get older. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make healthy decisions today. Right? Like, if you get, like, a diagnosis, say, of, like, diabetes, you're going to change your diet. You're going to change the way you live for tomorrow's sake. I hope that I can still be around for my grandkids tomorrow. It's going to affect the decisions I make today. If you hope to retire one day, right, you're going to take some of your money and you're going to put it away. Money you could spend on things today and money that could maybe even help your situation you're in. But you're like, no, I hope to be able to enjoy retirement. I hope to be able to travel. I hope to be able to do these things. So it impacts the decisions you make today. Young people in this room, if you hope for a really great job in the future, you're going you're gonna to get an education today. You're going to go to school. You're going to work hard at these things because you hope that you can get a good job, which can maybe get you lots of money or whatever it is, a satisfying career or something you want to do with your life. So it impacts the decisions you make today. What we believe about tomorrow absolutely impacts the way we live today. And the reality is a future hope is essential for the life of a believer. It is essential for a follower of Jesus. In fact, I would say that it is a Christian ethic to have hope for the future. Scripture is full of this concept of hope. And in fact, since literally the beginning of time, God has been instituting and instilling hope in his people. And it's a hope for the future. If you remember, 
if you know the story of creation, and then we have Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve both sin. And God tells them the bad news. And they're going to be cast out of the garden. And, and this curse has fallen upon them. This curse has fallen upon the earth. The earth is cursed because of their decisions. But God gives them a glimmer of hope. He says, one day, through your descendants, somebody's going to come and his heel will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. Right? And from that moment on, God has been instilling hope into his people. A man named Abram. God says, look, Abram, one day your descendant is going to bless the entire world. The entire earth will be blessed through your descendant. And then you have Israel, and, and this nation gets created, and they're, they're in captivity, and they're, they're enslaved, and God brings them hope of deliverance. right? And then after, the, after that uh, hope of deliverance, then God speaks to a king, King David, and David makes all these terrible mistakes but God gives him a hope for his future. And he says, David, one day, one of your descendants is going to sit on your throne and that kingdom will never end. Right? And then Israel gets taken into captivity and they get taken by Babylon and they're in despair. And Isaiah comes and God speaks to Isaiah and he gives hope to the people for the future. And I love this scripture and I, and I want to read it to us today. This is a classic Christmas passage. And I hope you hear this hope that Isaiah speaks to the people. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. It says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Do you feel like you're living in deep darkness today? Some of you really do feel like you're living in a time of deep darkness. And i got to be honest with you. If I could be honest and transparent this morning, I don't want to like put a damper on this Sunday before Christmas, but to be honest, I feel like personally my life has been in a land of deep darkness lately. Just, a, just several weeks ago, my, my, my wife, my father-in-law, he died. My wife's dad died from cancer. And he'd been battling it for about two years and and then all of a sudden it took such a terrible turn and my wife had to sit by his side for almost three weeks and just watch him in excruciating pain, just giving him morphine, watching him die. And then from that, just the, the grief that has come from that. And, and as we were walking through this grief, just like last week, the beginning of the week, a good friend of both of ours ended up dying from COVID. Pretty unexpectedly, didn't see it coming. He, we knew he had COVID. We knew he was in the hospital, but then he got sent home and everything was better. And then the next day he died. And then on Thursday, my wife's grandpa died. And it's just been this season of deep darkness. And so when I speak to you today, I'm, 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 I'm just preaching to myself. And I love my team here at, at, at ACF and Brian, Pastor Brian, he just grabbed me early, like on Tuesday, honestly, and was like, man, you don't need to speak this week. He's like, you guys are going through a lot. He's like, I'll take it. I'll speak. And he just said, I don't think so. I think God has something for me today. And, and, I, and, I, and I've, already, I've already prepared. I'm ready to go. But I think God has something for me. And I just really feel like I'm supposed to speak today. And maybe you are like, like me, just feeling like you're in a land of deep darkness. And I can, I can read through what I'm, what I'm talking about today, but I have to really learn how to believe this myself. 
But Isaiah speaks and he says, To the people who dwell in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone. And he goes on to speak. He says, For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This promise that is to come, this hope that is instilled in Israel. And then what ends up happening? Jesus comes. Jesus comes, hope fulfilled. Hope fulfilled. And when Jesus comes, what ends up, the reality of Jesus coming, one of the strongest truths that we get to see from Jesus coming is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. The head of the serpent was crushed. A blessing to the entire world came. Deliverance for a people. A kingdom was established and light in the darkness came. God keeps his promises. But the reality is hope is not done yet. Hope is not done yet. While Jesus came and he fulfilled so much of the hope and so much of the promises that God had given to his people, hope is not done yet. And God continues to this day. 2021, right? To this day, God continues to instill hope into his people. He continues to instill hope into his people. See, the kingdom has come, but it's not here yet, right? Death has been defeated, yet we still taste death, right? There's victory over sin, and yet I still sin. What, what does that mean? How do, I, how do I reconcile these two things? I was recently just like this week talking to somebody about this who was really struggling with this in their faith. Like I thought like when Jesus was, came to this earth and died and rose again, like that ushered in his kingdom, then why am I suffering? Maybe you've asked this question. And to be honest with you, it's a really important question to ask. In fact, if you haven't asked this question I can almost guarantee you, you will find yourself in a place in your life at some point where you will ask this question. How do I reconcile these two things? You see, the truth is, it's this concept, this idea of here but not yet. It's happened, but we're still waiting for it. It's, it's here, but we're waiting for it to come. And the best way I can describe it, and what I said to this person was this, and I think this is one of the greatest analogies. It literally, I feel like God gave me this analogy, and it it spoke to my own heart as I walked through what I'm walking through right now with my family. And it was this idea of a woman who's pregnant. And And the moment she becomes pregnant, is she a mother? Yes, but not yet. Right? And as as the pregnancy goes on, and it becomes more and more evident that she's going to be a mother. And the signs are all there, and you can see it's coming, and it's on its way, but it's not quite yet. Is she a mother? Yes, she is, but but not yet. 
And that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And as the time draws near, it will be more evident. And as you walk with Jesus, it's going to be so much more evident in your life. Day after day after day, you're going to see all the signs that his kingdom is here and yet not yet. And I think this is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're talking about this verse for a little bit or this, this section of scripture, I should say. See, Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, whose life was radically transformed by Jesus, he planted some churches, and in these churches, years after Jesus has come and ascended into heaven, after he's died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, years later, these churches go through massive persecution. They are, they are literally being gathered up and marched into coliseums and fed to lions. They're being executed for their faith in the most horrendous of ways. And if you could imagine, you might be a little depressed if you were a part of these churches. You might be a little discouraged seeing your friends, your husband, your wife, your child marched into a coliseum, fed to a lion, all for just having faith in Jesus. And so Peter writes to them, and he writes them this letter, and what he gives them, what he reminds them of is hope. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says, Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, future hope. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your soul. See, he's talking to a people that are suffering and he, and he uses these words like, look, you have been born into a living hope. Hope is that there is still greater to come. And he says, look, you have an inheritance waiting for you. It is kept in heaven. And then he says these crazy things. He says, look, I get it. Like he says, you, you might have to go through suffering of all kinds of trials for a little while. Yeah, I would consider what they're going through. Definitely all kinds of trials. He's like, but it's okay. It's okay. Even though you're walking through these trials, you are experiencing the love of Jesus even though you've never seen him. In fact, you are experiencing an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
and you're receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You see, this joy that he's talking about, this inexpressible joy, is this idea that no matter what the circumstances are around me, like I can still experience joy in Jesus. See, the great lie, honestly, the great lie that we so often come to believe, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I would believe that you probably believe this lie at some point in your life, and maybe even currently. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, my guess is, you, you look into the lies of Christians that you know and, and you believe the lie and you go, well, yes, yeah, see, your God's not good because you're still suffering. See, the lie is that we believe in our hearts and our souls is that when I say yes to Jesus, everything should just get better, right? Everything should get better. Now, we might not confess that we believe that, but so many of us in our, deep in our hearts, we do believe it. Right, that, that, that when I say yes to Jesus, that means no more cancer diagnoses in my family or in my life. That those are done. And if there are any, they get all better. Right, it, when I say yes to Jesus, that means like, we've been trying to have a baby, we're going to have a baby now. Because I believe in Jesus. And when I say yes to Jesus, the broken relationships in my life are just going to get all better. I'm going to get the job. My bank account's going to be better. I'm not going to be stressed about my finances. When I say yes to Jesus, my life gets better. And we believe that lie, it, it shatters the true hope that we have coming for us. And, and what it does is it weakens and cheapens our faith in Jesus because all of a sudden things aren't better. And we go, what, what is this, God? Like I thought my life was supposed to get better and it doesn't. Now it can, it, it really can. I've seen people get miraculously healed before. I've seen relationships really automatically kind of restored. But so often, that's because the person receiving Jesus goes, oh my goodness, I need to learn what this thing called forgiveness is. And it has an impact on a relationship. But just because you say yes to Jesus and you walk in relationship with him does not mean that your life is going to be easy. When you look at the lives of the disciples, they all were killed for their faith, except for one, John, and it wasn't for lack of trying. He just wouldn't die. Do you realize that? All of the disciples were killed for their faith. Their lives did not get better. They were all killed, most of them in pretty heinous ways, too, if you read the history of the church and the disciples. When we say yes to Jesus, it does not mean our lives get better. And that, that, that belief is really, it, it's an absorption of other religions, honestly, in this world. Karma, right? Like, I just do the right thing, and then my life gets better. And we live that way as Christians. Like, God, I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to do it all right. I'm not going to sin today. And then I'm going to get that phone call, and the cancer's all gone. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not what's going on. When we walk with Jesus, we need to understand that we are born, what Peter says, into an inheritance of something that's coming. It's far greater than even a phone call that the cancer's all gone. Far greater. And so when we say yes to Jesus, you know what? We will still suffer. But we can have joy and peace in our lives regardless of what's going on in the world around us. That even as I get marched into a coliseum to be fed to a lion, I can experience inexpressible and glorious joy. That comes from hope. What we hope for in the future is important. 
So the question is, what are you hoping for? Because we will always live today by what we believe is coming for tomorrow. We will always be living today by what we believe is coming from tomorrow. What does your lifestyle say you believe about your future? Right? Does your lifestyle say, I can take it all with me? Like Scrooge, I'm just going to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Get all the stuff because I can take it with me. And that's where my joy is going to come from. We have a guy, uh, he comes and, and teaches every couple of years up here. His name is Joe Sangle, if you've ever been to one of his uh, financial learning experience nights. He's amazing. And a couple of years ago, he told this story at, at one of our financial learning experiences. And he said, I got a letter from, from a, a kid one time. And he said, Joe, you'll never believe this. And he actually sent him a picture of it. He said, my dad so believed in gathering stuff that that was what his hope lied in. That's where his hope existed, that he, got, he, he accumulated so much stuff. And then when he died in the will, it, it said that I was supposed to take the best of his stuff, put it in a U-Haul truck, and then on the side of the U-Haul truck made a big banner that said, I'm taking it with me. And then he followed the hearse to the graveside. That's, yeah, wow is right. And we, look, we, see, we hear that, well, that's crazy, but many of us kind of live this way. Maybe we don't go that far, but man, it, my hope is in my stuff. What does your lifestyle say about what you believe about your future? Does, it, does your lifestyle say, yeah, I don't really believe in hell? Does the lifestyle say, yeah, my friends, my neighbors that don't know Jesus, my family members that don't know Jesus, it'll be fine for them when they die. It's not that big of a deal. Does your lifestyle say that all roads lead to heaven? Man, as long as you believe something. Just God's good. And it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Is that what your lifestyle says? Does your lifestyle say, man, I think Christians, we fall into this a lot. Does your lifestyle say, I don't really believe that Jesus is coming back? I don't really believe he's coming back. Like, yes, the Bible says he's going to come back and sure, that's in like 10 millennia from now. But today, the way I live doesn't matter that Jesus is coming back. Maybe tomorrow. Like, I just don't believe it. See, what we say we hope for, and oftentimes even convince ourselves, or try to convince ourselves that this is what we hope for, and what we actually hope for, comes into contrast by the way we live our lives every single day. Christians, what we say we hope for and, and what we actually hope for, it comes in contrast every day. And even if you're not a Christian in this room, I would argue that that is true for you. The things you say you put your hope in for the future and then the way you live your life today, those things are in contrast because you, you, you say you, you hope for like a healthy, physically healthy future, but uh, yeah, your, your McDonald's tab would not agree with that, Right? And again, I go back to this analogy just because I think it is so powerful. In a different way, if you, if, if a war, and, and here's the thing, let me back up real quick. What I'm not talking about here in, in the way you live today, I'm not talking about uh, uh, behavior modification. Okay? I'm not saying, like, look, you need to change your behavior and then you'll have a hope for the future. That's, that, that is the wrong message because that's not true. But the way I compare it, what I liken it to is, again, I go back to a woman who is pregnant. A woman who is pregnant, it will, let me, if, you do, if you're a woman in this room and you do not believe you are pregnant, you're going to live a certain way, right? 
You're going you're to live your life as if you're not pregnant. But the moment you think that you're pregnant, your life changes. Would you like some wine? No, thank you. I'll have some cranberry pills, please. Right? You're going to all of a sudden, like, want to paint that room and get a crib and, 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 and get the car seat. And, and all of a sudden, your life is going to be lived differently because it has to be no. Because you have a hope in something that's coming. And now you're living your life differently, especially if you're a mother and maybe you've been trying to get pregnant and now you're pregnant for the first time. There is exceeding, inexplainable, inexpressible joy in your heart because you have a hope for something that's coming and you live your life differently because of that. And, and man, it might be difficult today. I might be having a bad day, but a baby is on the way and I have a hope for something. And that is so much of this hope that God gives us. It is coming. And when we can really get our minds and our souls wrapped around it, it will affect the way we live today. And it will affect the decisions that we make. Hope is coming. See, what do you, see, uh, what you hope for matters. What you hope for matters. But the question is, is what are you actually hoping for? Like we've been talking a lot this morning about hope, Josh, but what is hope? What do we hope for? What we hope for matters. What we hope in matters. We hope in the return of Jesus, but what we hope for, what our, what our hope is found, is, is found in. Is our hope found in salvation? Like do we hope for salvation is what I'm asking. Do we hope for freedom in Christ? Do we hope for forgiveness from Jesus? Is that the stuff we hope for? I love what Paul, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. He says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. In other words, we don't hope for these things. We don't hope for salvation. We don't hope for forgiveness. We don't hope for freedom. And the reason I bring that up is because as followers of Jesus, oftentimes we're living as if we're still hoping for these things. We wake up in the morning going, man, I hope God would forgive me for my sins that I did last night. Man, I hope I could have freedom from this addiction that I have or this, this, this mindset that I, that's been haunting me. I hope I could have freedom from it one day. I hope I can have salvation for my soul. Like, I know I screw up a lot. I hope for these things. But instead of hoping for these things, waking up in the morning and hoping, we need to wake up and walk in the fact that we are possessors of them if we are in Jesus. You have salvation if you have surrendered your heart to Jesus. You have forgiveness from your sins. Your sins that you're going to commit tomorrow are already forgiven. Walk in that freedom of forgiveness. We do not hope for these things. And if that is true, then what is it that we hope for? What we hope for is heaven. Peter says, we have been reborn into an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. What we hope for is heaven. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, in our, in our lives, we live with hope that is deferred. Hope is always that thing in the future, but heaven is hope fulfilled. So let me ask you this. 
Does the thought of heaven give you hope? Be honest. Some of you, it really does. Some of you guys have walked through real tragedies and traumas and all these things, and, and you've gotten an understanding of heaven. But I would say for majority of us, if we're honest with ourselves, like heaven is not that hope that propels us through the dark times of our soul. Right? When we live in that land of deep darkness, it's often not heaven that is the power of hope that propels us forward. See, what we hope for in the future determines how you handle life's trials in the present. What you hope for in the future, it determines how you handle life's trials. If all your hope is in, man, I, did, did I get enough money in the bank? Then when you're going through hard times, that's what you look to and that's what you put your hope in. Or, or if your hope is in that great job or whatever it is, what we put our hope in in the future determines how we handle life's trials today. I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton. And he says this about hope. He says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or of no virtue at all. As long as matters remain hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Do you have hope? Does the thought of heaven bring you hope? What do you put your hope in? You see, when we put our hope in things that are weak, our hope will never be a strength when you need it. Right? Like if my hope is just in my finances or my hope is in my education, when things are going really tough and I'm really in this place of this deep darkness of the land, that hope is weak and it really doesn't propel me through that, that moment. And when your hope is empty, it will never fill you when you have nothing left. If my hope is built on myself and my strengths and my talents, and I'm just strong enough to always will myself through these things, when I'm empty, that hope does not fill me. Do you have a vision of heaven? Church, today we have a terrible vision of heaven. We have really weak theology when it comes to heaven. And I've been realizing more and more lately that this is so important because this is where our hope lies. And if this is the hope that God has given to us, then we should really understand what, what our hope for the future is. We love the idea of heaven. We love the idea of heaven. We know we, we, know we want to go there, right? Like that's the answer to the question on the test. Where do you want to go when you die? Oh. I know this one, it's heaven, right? But is that what gives you hope? Like, have you ever heard people talk about heaven? Like, what do they say? What's heaven gonna be like? Huh? Streets of gold, cool. I'm walking on these streets, they're gold. All right, now what? Like, they're really shiny, that's neat. Is that what my hope is in? That their streets are now gold in heaven, okay? All right? Uh, that it's in the clouds. Think about what, what do people talk about when they talk about heaven? Well, it's in the clouds. It's out there somewhere, a billion miles away. Oh, I love this one. Uh, what, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to worship God forever. Forever. Right? One long singing fest. Forever and ever. And some of you struggle through three songs on Sunday. That does not sound exciting for eternity. This is supposed to fill me with hope? 
just singing. I remember literally like talking to people who don't know Jesus and I'm with friends who are like, dude, we're going to worship God forever. And they're like, I'll take hell. Like that sounds terrible. Like just singing uh, forever. Right? We're going to have harps apparently because that gives me hope. Right? Like we have such weak vision of heaven. What's heaven going to be like? Oh, no more crying. Okay. We're, we're starting. That is really amazing. And that was what scripture tells us that God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness, no more suffering. Okay. These are good things, but I'm telling you, these are the appetizers to the appetizers. That is not even the point of heaven. You see, first of all, I want us to understand something. I want to to clear something up so you understand. Heaven is going to be here on this earth. You might not know that. Here on this earth. What do you love about God's incredible creation? That will be here, magnitude. Like, Josh, I thought we were going to be caught up in clouds into heaven. Yes, we will. We will go and we'll be standing before the judgment seat of God in his throne room. And that is nothing to be feared for those who love Jesus because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's going to be an incredible moment where we get to stand before the throne room of God and Jesus says, I have covered everything. It's on me. And then after all that happens, it says that God's very throne will descend upon this earth and he will be with us forever here. Okay, so first of all, get this understanding. It's not clouds in heaven or clouds in the sky for a moment, but it's going to be here on earth. And now I want you to understand this too, just to give you a taste of what the hope is that we have. Ephesians talks about this idea in Ephesians 2 and 3 and even 4. It talks about this idea of ever-increasing joy, that it will take eternity for God to demonstrate his glory to us. Eternity for God to demonstrate his glory. And, and every moment for eternity, like eternity can't even hold God's glory. But every moment that we're with God, it will be joy ever increasing. In the Psalms, it talks about that God has pleasures forevermore in his right hand. Have you ever thought about that? God holding the pleasures of this world in his hand. Pleasures forevermore. And so this idea of ever-increasing joy is this, that when we experience joy once we're in eternity in heaven, here on this earth, that the next very moment will be more joyful than the last one. And then the next very moment beyond that will be more joyful than the last one. And then the next moment beyond that will be more joyful than the last one for eternity. We physically cannot understand this concept. We have caps and lids and ceilings to our joy. We experience great joy on earth, and then we come down from that. And we understand there's limitations to the joy that we have. And we understand too, like, hey, sometimes we need to put limitations to the joy we have so we don't run off the rails. But in heaven, here on earth, with God in his presence, it will be ever-increasing joy, that the joy that we experience will be God's glory. See, heaven, God removed from heaven is, is emptiness. God removed from heaven is emptiness, but God with his people experiencing his glory will literally be joy increasing for eternity, 
And then I love, in 1 Corinthians, it, it, Paul, it's, Paul's talking and he's like, look, basically the things that you go through now, they're not even worth comparing. In other words, like when it's 10,000 years past 10,000 years past 10,000 years in eternity and every moment of that is going to be increasing joy past the last one? Do you think you're going to look back here in this time, in this moment that you're at and go, man, that was tough? I don't, I don't believe we will. I don't believe we will. And Paul says in, in Corinthians, he says, look, it's not even worth comparing. The suffering that you're going through right now is not even worth comparing the glory that is coming to you. It like, it, it's not worth comparing. Don't even do it because I know it seems like it's terrible right now. And it is. I'm not diminishing your pain. I'm not diminishing the struggle. But the reality is it is not worth comparing to the glory that is coming to us. Paul's in prison and the Romans are going to execute him. And Paul is like, thank you. Bring it. I get to go stand before Jesus. And the Romans are like, whoa, we don't, we don't want to do you a favor here. Okay, we're going to keep you alive. And Paul says, okay. Then I'm going to keep presenting the gospel. And the Romans are like, what do we do with this? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? They don't know what to do with Paul because any option is like, hallelujah, amen. I'm taking it. Because he has a true vision of what is to come. He gets to stand before Christ. And look, he even says, like, for, but for me, to, to, to live is Christ, to live is the suffering, but to die is gain. I gain so much. The, the sacrifice is to stay alive. The sacrifice is not to die for my faith. And I just want to say this, too. Like, I'm not talking about, Paul's not in a dark, depressed place where he wants to die. He's not. And if you're there today, I want to challenge you. I want to tell you, please get help. You can go to hopetoalaska.com, and we will pay for your counseling. Please get hope, help. But Paul is talking from a place of hope. He understands, like, look, he's going to die someday, probably at the hands of the Romans. So if it's going to be today, then yeah, bring it, please. I want to go see Jesus. But if you're going to keep me alive, it's better that I stay alive, Paul says. Better to stay alive than go see Jesus right now because you need me to stay alive. Because you need to continue to hear the gospel. I need to continue to teach you. See, and in, in, in the truth is, if you struggle, if you struggle to believe this hope and have it fill your heart, if you struggle and you go, Josh, I'm going through some tough times and I'm not experiencing this hope, I want to tell you something. It's okay. That's okay. We are humans and we are limited and we are broken and, and we all will struggle with this. And you're like, this, this idea is awesome. And yes, I need to think about this and wrestle through this more. But man, I just, today, I feel hopeless. And that's the beautiful thing about the family of God. It's like, we need each other. We need to be reminded when we forget. We need to encourage each other. And we need to go, man, I feel hopeless today. And you need to hear someone else say, you know what? I feel hopeless today too. You're not alone. And somebody else to say, hey, I'm feeling great. Let me encourage you guys. Let me pray for you guys. Let me be here for you guys. That is what the body of Christ is, and this is what we need. It's okay if you're struggling with this, but I want to challenge you to pray and ask Holy Spirit to reveal this to your soul. Because the, the truth is you cannot reason this in your brain. 
You can't. You can't reason hope into your brain. We can learn and understand and grow in our understanding of what heaven's actually going to be, and that is very important. But at the end of the day, we can't reason ourselves to this place. It is only through the power of Holy Spirit in our hearts to show us and reveal it to us and open our eyes that we would see something that we cannot see with our physical eyes. So I want to invite you to pray that prayer. I'm going to close with just this quote right here. St. Augustine, one of the most influential people on, on our faith that we have today. Influential theologians. Um, it says that he stood on the, on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And he was looking out at the sun setting. This most magnificent view. The sky exploding in orange and pinks. And the sea is calm. And he's on the shore of the Mediterranean. And it says that this is what he said. This realization came to him. And he says, these are the beauties afforded to sinful men. What does God have in store for those who follow him? Every week, we close with these things called action steps. They're on your seat. They're on the back of those cards that you have. And we just believe that we don't want to encourage you, challenge you, speak the word of God to you, and then get up, and then you get up and leave, and and Monday morning it's totally forgotten. And the reality is that often happens. It happens to me. We're we're humans. We forget. And so we just want to text you to remind you, to send you something encouraging. And I know you're going to see these on the screen behind me. You're going to go, those are a little, like, don't seem very encouraging to me. But first of all, if you've never said yes to Jesus, and maybe you're learning for the first time what following Jesus is all about, that it's not about just doing the right thing, that does not fill anybody with hope. But it is about this receiving this hope and love and forgiveness from Jesus. I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Just mark that on, mark that on the action step. And, and the, the, these last three right here, I, want, I just want to explain something to you. You may not know this. This is just crazy, and we're just blown away by what God is doing. But for the last three weeks, each service for the last three weeks, each week has been the biggest week of ACF Church's history of people coming to church. Three weeks, and then two weeks ago was bigger than three weeks ago. And then last week was bigger than all those. God is doing something, and it's amazing. And I don't say that to, like, go, hey, guys, look how awesome we are. That, not at all. I don't, I don't care about being awesome. But what I am saying is that people are coming and hearing the good news of Jesus, and it's amazing. And Christmas Eve is this week. And not going to lie, we're a little nervous. We have planned for a big, huge group of people to show up on at our Christmas Eve services. And we have people ready and already signed up to serve, but we are just feeling in our souls that it's going to be a lot bigger than what we're anticipating. And so honestly, we could use some help. And this is why we want the help. This is why we need help because we can make things happen. And it's, and we got people that are serving, but we want to be able to present hope to a community that is in deep darkness people walking through some of the same things that you're walking through. I know I'm not the only one who's watched his wife watch her dad die from cancer over this last few weeks. I'm not the only one in the room. And I need some hope. And I know that there's people in our community that are going to come on Christmas Eve and they're in those places and we just want them to experience community and love 
in, in, in just acceptance here at ACF Church, that they know that this is a place that's safe and that they can come. We want them to be able to walk in those doors and have a seat for them. We want them to walk in those doors and be greeted with a smile just to know that they're seen. And so we think it's going to be a really big couple of nights for Christmas Eve. And so if you would be willing to serve, we would love to have you serve with us and be part of what's going on here. And we're not asking you to sign up for a serve team and now you're committed for months on end or anything like that. We're asking for just one moment, one, one time, if you're not serving yet, that you would consider it. Maybe serving at a service and then coming to a service. And then on New Year's Eve, we, uh, we do an awesome fireworks show. If you've never been to it before, we've been told it's like the biggest one in Alaska. Uh, it's bigger than Anchorage's. I'm just gonna let you know. We go big because we want to bless our community. And it just, it's going to take a lot of people. In fact, like, the, like part of the permits to do this says we're going to have so many people to help with crowd control. And so just showing up on New Year's Eve and going, hey, I'm here. I can help park cars and I can smile at people as they walk by. Let them know their love. If you would be willing to do just one of those things, that you would check that box and drop it uh, in, in, in the boxes as you leave today so that we can make sure that nobody gets missed when they show up to Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. If you guys would, close in prayer with me. Jesus, I thank you that you are good. Jesus, I thank you that you keep your promises. God, you keep your promises. You always have, and you always will. And so, God, we can believe you when you tell us you're coming back. We can believe you when you tell us that when you come back, your kingdom will come and it will come in the full. And just like that moment when a baby is born and all things come to fruition, God, that moment will happen. And God, help us to have a vision for that moment. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would see the joy in that moment, the the hope that we have, the hope that is deep and powerful, that propels us through these difficult times in life. Hope that propels us to tell our neighbors and our, our co-workers and our family members about what we Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.